Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 39 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and today's episode is brought to you by HANA One, which is an Ayurvedic Rasayana that helps to support our body from our modern stressors that we face on a daily basis. And it's all an herbal blend, which I absolutely love. So if you want to learn more, go to summitforwellness.com slash H-A-N-A-H. And Ayurveda ties right into the topic of today's episode, which is all about the chakra system. Both the chakras and Ayurveda come from India, and so it's an awesome correlation to have both of those as part of today's episode. So my guest today, Steve Politis, he is a physical therapist down in California, but he has been studying a lot about these different energy systems that different cultures have used for thousands of years. So we will chat with him all about the chakras and the main chakras that are the most well-known and how he can apply that to movement and rehab programs. Dr. Steve Politis is a physical therapist with over 20 years in the health, fitness, and bodywork industries. He has combined his personal interests and education into his own style of holistic therapy. His approach includes looking at people as a whole person, all mind, body, spirit, and energetic, with an understanding that someone with pain has much more going on than merely a dysfunctional single tissue. Thanks for coming on to the the show, Steve. Well, thanks for having me, Brian. I really appreciate this opportunity. I'm I'm excited to be here. Yeah, of course. I've I've, uh, talked with you in the past before, and I just love the energy that you bring to all these different topics, and I know that you will have a lot to share with us today. But before we get into that, you have such an extensive background. I would love to hear more about it, if you could go into it a little bit. Uh, well, sure, sure. Um, so I graduated from uh, UCSB or University of California in Santa Barbara uh, with a degree in biopsychology, but I was well aware of that at the time that, you know, I'm not going out and becoming a biopsychologist. And so when I graduated undergraduate, uh, I really had no idea what to do with myself, but I knew I like the body. I like movement. Um, but I also knew that I didn't want to be a medical doctor. So I just kind of carried on with life and did some traveling and just kind of worked and did some things that were fun for me. Uh, and then little by little, I came across, physical therapy. Uh, I was working as a personal trainer in a gym and doing some massage and personal training. And I kept kind of realizing that the people that would come in that would have kind of complaints, well, I can't do this with my shoulder. And I think, well, okay, now what do I do? I, I don't, I don't understand enough about the body to really figure that out. Um, and next to the gym was a physical therapy clinic. Uh, I'm also a a rugby guy, and so I was playing a lot of rugby at the time and always banging myself up. So I found myself in the physical therapy clinic uh, asking the therapist all the time, well, what do you do for this? What do you do for that? And pretty soon it dawned on me, gosh, those guys seem to know all the stuff that I want to know. 
And that's really what kind of drew me into the world of physical therapy. And so then, um, you know, a few years later, I got into school, came out of school. And my first job uh, was in San Diego. And I feel so blessed to have had a mentor, the senior therapist where I worked, really took me under his wing. And he was just a fantastic therapist and still a friend of mine to this day. And I still feel he's a role model and a mentor for me in my career. Uh, but he was big into manual therapy. And so he really planted some seeds that I knew I wanted to pursue manual therapy in my career. But being a new grad, you know, you have to time things right. And that's a, a whole nother set of schooling to go through. Uh, and so I just kind of kept taking classes and learning on my own as much as I could. And I was avidly reading all the journals that came in and, um, you know, all the scientific PT journals that I could get my hands on. Uh, and along the way, I was exposed to the chain reaction course taught by Gary Gray and Dr. Dave Tiberio. And that was a game changer for me. I was at a conference. Uh, there was a breakout session where one of the instructors said, oh, hey, you know, we're talking about hip arthritis. And we linked it to a stiff arthritic toe on the other foot. And that kind of blew my mind. And I went up to the teacher and I, afterwards and I said, well, what? How did you? I, did, I just don't get it. How did you make that connection? And he said, take a chain reaction course from Gary Gray. So that's what I did. Uh, and then I just fell in love with the stuff. And that's, uh, you know, a study where you and I have our, our common connection and background through the Gray Institute. But it's really a study deep into the biomechanics of the body and how it really functions in the real world. And then it also kind of plays into that everybody is a unique being and body, mind, and spirit. So I started that, uh, or I took that course, and then I kept pestering them, well, what, what can I do? Uh, what's the next level? What's the next course? What, how can I learn more? And it was about that time that they developed their fellowship program. So because I was pestering them every month or so with emails asking what, what the next step was, I was lucky enough to get in on the first class of their fellowship program called GIFT. And so with that, um, it was a life-changing and career-changing kind of journey that you started on that, you know, it's as you know, it's the year-long kind of program where you really dig deep into understanding the bi biomechanics and human movement. Um, and it was just fantastic. And so that really became my filter for everything else. A few years later, I finally was at a point in my life where the timing was right and a, and a bunch of other things were right for me to be able to further pursue the manual therapy school. And that was something that I knew from, you know, day one as a new grad that I had wanted to do. And finally it was, it was coming to pass. And so moved across country uh, my gracious wife agreed to, to let me bounce her around and pull her away from her family. Um, so we moved across the country to Washington, where I went through um, a program there called the Ola Grimsby Institute, and, and that was earning a fellowship in manual therapy, which was a two-year-long in-depth program 
understanding um, different aspects of the body uh, down to kind of the physiologic level, what's happening in the cells, what um, what's really the nitty-gritty of all the pathophysiology um, with injuries, with all the tissues, the neurophysiology, with all the mechanoreceptors and proprioceptors, and, uh, and then learning differential diagnosis, which is being able to differentiate one tissue versus another one, and where is the pain coming from, what's the cause. So for me, in my head, uh, the, the manual therapy and the applied functional science were just a perfect combination. Um, it, it was, and that's kind of what has developed into my style predominantly. Uh, I would say my foundation is, by all means, the applied functional science and understanding that we move in three planes of motion. Uh, but I am a manual therapist, and I love getting my hands on people to help the joints, the soft tissues, the nerves, all the tissues try and move better and function better so that then it translates into the person being able to do whatever it is they like to do in life uh, a little bit easier and with less pain. So that's, that's kind of the, uh, the story in a nutshell. And then at what point did you start diving into more of the energetic components of the body and of the world? Um, you know, that was, I guess, about the time that I was discovering applied functional science. And for me, it was more of an interest that developed from my personal life and kind of evolved from there. But um I had a couple of dogs at the time and, and absolutely loved my dogs, but the older one had some fear aggression issues. And she seemed to be teaching the younger dog about being fear aggressive. And so my wife and I were doing all sorts of things. We were taking the dogs to training and we started reading a bunch of books. And that was about the time that the Dog Whisperer show was really popular. And so we were watching that on a regular basis. And, and I read a couple of Caesar Milan's books, and in there he would always talk about calm, assertive energy. You need to project calm, assertive energy to your dogs because they read your energy. And that was really one of those kind of aha moments for me, like, oh, dogs read our energy, do they? Um, well, what about people? Do people read energy? And, and that's really the, the spark that kind of led me down the path of, of exploring it more and more. So then I started kind of reading some other books, and, uh, and I was talking with a patient of mine uh, at the time, and she said, oh, well, here, I have this CD set of um, an audio thing on the chakras, so let me give this to you, and you can kind of learn a little bit more about it. So then I started to listen to these audio CDs and uh, really started to, to get a better understanding of the chakras and, and what they are and how they relate to us as humans. And through that, it just really piqued my interest. And so I just kind of kept going down the learning path and kept exploring more and more and more. The chakra system is a part of one culture, but we see that there's a bunch of other cultures that have uh, their own energy systems. Can you talk about why there's so many different type of systems that these cultures use? Well, um, you know, it's it's kind of consistent with 
religions and just different cultures around the world often have a lot of common themes that kind of run through them. You know, with a lot of different religious faiths, there's sort of similar um, creation stories. There's a lot of uh, similarities between these beliefs in kind of the tree of life and how that stems or from that stems all the other branches of the tree uh, leading to different aspects of life. Um, but yeah, there's cultures around the world that all have different energy systems, but there's a ton of overlap. Um, so one of the more common ones that we're familiar with uh, in the West is the Hindu chakra system. Uh, and that's one of the more kind of popularly known systems here in the West, but that's where there's um, generally between four to eight chakra centers, but the most common is kind of seven. Uh, there's also a tantric chakra system, which again is very close to the Hindu and the, and the tantric um, evolve out of kind of the yogi type mindset. And so there's um, different chakras like one belief will have a few more in different areas of the body and things like that. But um, the Tibetan system in the energy system in the Himalayas, uh, they have kind of a six chakra system. Um, and then one of the interesting things that I found fascinating reading through stuff was the, the Mayans and Incans also had energy systems. And there's a lot of kind of belief that the Mayans were the ones that brought their belief in energy systems to India and Asia and Africa. And it kind of ties into, you know, some of those mysteries in the history of the world and how the Mayans disappeared and where they go and what happened. And, um, but again, there's a lot of similarities with things like uh, serpents and a God symbolism that is common through a lot of the different cultures. Uh, but then even into the Native Americans, uh, there's the Cherokee uh, Native Americans have an energy system. And, and again, there's a lot of similarities that connect with all these other ones. Uh, kind of this belief that arises from a faith that everything comes from the earth and there's a network of meridians within the earth and grids that are connecting everything and that the body physically mirrors a lot of some of that type of stuff that's going on. Um, and when you look at the, the Cherokee chakra system or energy system, um, it's just uncanny how much it correlates with kind of the, the more commonly known seven chakra system. So it's really pretty fascinating just, uh, even into, um, I came across where Egyptian and African energy systems like the Zulus and, and Egyptians, they have energy systems that, again, there's a ton of overlap. And, uh, and in my readings, I came across there's even a Christian energy system, uh, which it says was based on the book Revelation of St. John. And that it kind of outlines this energy system for the soul evolution. And it goes through seven different layers or levels. And so there's just a ton of kind of common themes throughout all these different cultures throughout the world. And, and it just makes sense to me that, you know, there's something there. Um, everybody believes in some kind of an energy system. 
they have just interpreted it in their own perspective and kind of developed what seemed meaningful to them at the time. And, and then, of course, that's just handed down through the ages. Can you describe what energy is or what it correlates to? Like, does it correlate to the nervous system or does it have a different component to it? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, you know, there's a lot of stuff and I, I like quotes and I, um, there's a couple of quotes that I came across that, uh, so one of them, the first one, if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration. And that was Nikola Tesla. And, you know, so it's a, it's a pretty common theme. And then, you know, our good friend, Albert Einstein was just full of amazing quotes. And there's two of them for me that kind of stick out that uh, you put them together and it, and it really sums it all up. Uh, but the first quote from, from Einstein is, everything in life is vibration. Again, he and Nikola Tesla were, were kind of talking on the same terms. But then the second quote from Einstein is that nothing changes until something moves. And so you know, energy and vibration is, is a big part of uh, what we are as humans, the entire physical world and the universe that we know. And when we look at kind of the physics of it, it boils down to, you know, the tiniest little particles and atoms and quarks and leptons and these tiny little pieces of matter that are basically just zooming around in space. It's just a bunch of vibration. And basically, we put all those pieces together into these complex systems, but we're just energy. Everything is vibrating. Everything is energy. Now, in my kind of journey exploring all of this stuff, one of the things that struck me about the chakra system is how somewhere along the way, I saw this kind of a slide of where it matches up with the neuroendocrine system and kind of the, the central nervous system and the spinal, uh, the spinal cord and all the nerves coming off of it. So for me, being rooted in the sciences with physical therapy and, and that aspect of my learning, uh, seeing this connection between something that's a little bit more ambiguous as energy and some anatomical structures was another one of those aha moments. I was like, oh, cool okay, there's something to this. This is really interesting. Um, and so it's not only the nervous system, but there's a lot of different physiologic processes and kind of structures within the body that parallel with the chakra system. Well, let's dive into the chakra system a little bit. Can you start walking us through the seven main chakras uh, that we typically see? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So it starts at the, the base of the spine and really coming off of the, the coccyx there is what we call the root chakra. And so each chakra has kind of a, it's got its name, there's an associated color um, and, and a lot of different layers to it, but uh, I'll give you kind of the element that's connected to it. And then we'll talk a little bit about the kind of the endocrine glands, kind of the spinal plexi that it's related to, and some of the, the human traits of our personality and our human experience that connect to it. So we start at the base, the root chakra, and it's 
pointing downwards coming off of the the base of the spine there and its color is red and its element is earth and when it when we connect it to the endocrine glands it's really connected with the adrenal glands and functions like the kidneys and bladder and excretory functions um, then it's also connected to the coccygeal plexus of the nervous system the human traits that are connected with it are kind of the primal traits of security and and survival sensations like being hot or cold safe or scared kind of hungry or satiated thirsty or quenched all of those primal aspects of are we alive can we be safe are we secure those types of things then we move up to the sacral chakra and that's really housed within the pelvis itself uh, its color is orange and its element is water and then when we come to the endocrine glands it's really the ovaries and the testes and the reproductive organs yeah. but it's also connected to the sacral plexus of the nervous system and thinking about that water as the element really it's related to a flowing nature of our relationships our intimacy with others connecting our emotions um, and all of those types of pieces of our human experience from there we move up to the solar plexus so the solar plexus is right in our solar plexus it's kind of right in your gut so right in the front or right in the belly there and its color is yellow and its element is fire so you can kind of think of that term the fire in your belly type of stuff when we talk about the endocrine glands that it's associated with the liver the spleen the pancreas and the digestion organs so all of that stuff that's kind of right in your belly all of those things relating to the solar plexus chakra and then when it comes to the spinal level it's the lumbar plexus but this is our power our drive our creativity um, i like to also think of this like the three d's of drive determination and discipline it's your ability to create things and get stuff done and stay on task and produce something in the world so from there we go up to the balance point and this is the heart chakra and and it's considered the balance because it's the level in the middle where there's three chakras below that are more of the physical plane of the world and then the three chakras above which are more of the spiritual plane but the heart is right in the middle it's the balance point between the physical and the spiritual and it's as you would guess right in the center of the chest the heart but its color is green and it relates to the thymus gland and the heart and lungs but also the thoracic plexus of the nervous system and as you would imagine the heart chakra it's related to love and compassion forgiveness uh, non-judgment you know the kinds of things that we need to be able to forgive and love ourselves to be able to forgive and love other people but that's the heart chakra 
moving above that is where we get into more of the spiritual realm. And so the next one above is the throat chakra. This one, its color is blue and its element is ether. Oh, maybe I forgot to mention the heart chakra. Its element is air. So think the lungs, air. But now jumping back to the throat chakra, right in the throat, its color is blue. Its element is ether. It's related to the thyroid and parathyroid glands and kind of the, the mouth and auditory functions that we have and the pharyngeal plexus off the nervous system. So this one really connects with finding your voice and being able to tell your story and express yourself, but also the listening and hearing. Um, you know, we can, we can listen to people, but oftentimes we don't really hear what the messages are. The throat chakra is all about that. Not only talking and communication, but with that, really hearing people and, and listening to what is it that they're, they're really saying. Up above that, we come to the third eye chakra. So this is seated deep in the middle of the forehead and its color is violet and its element is light and it relates to the pituitary gland and all of our visual and olfactory type senses but it's also connected to the carotid plexus of the nervous system. And this you can think of as your inner vision or intuition, being able to see your dreams and imagine your future and kind of striving towards achieving those dreams and future. It's our introspection and being able to really take kind of that inner eye and look at ourselves and, and understand more about what's what's driving us what's what's our motivation what what are the things that we want to do with ourselves and then finally the seventh chakra is the crown chakra so this one is off the top of the head and it's often described as just a couple of inches above the head and it points upwards where the root chakra pointed downwards the crown chakra points upwards. All of the other ones in the middle kind of project forward and back out of our bodies. But the crown chakra points upwards towards the heavens and its color is white, kind of the combination of all colors. And there's really no element associated with it. Although I've also heard it or read that it's um, the element that's associated is the mind or spirit. But this is related to the pineal gland and our cognitive brain functions. And for the nervous system, well, the cerebral cortex and, and all of the stuff that goes on in there. But then it's our connection with the universe, with source, with spirit, with God, you know, whatever the term is that fits for you, the crown chakra, that's where we're making that connection. Um, so that's kind of the overview of the chakra system. So I'm guessing this is a it depends type of question, but if we start having dysfunction or imbalances in the body that correlates to these different um, chakras, how do we go about trying to bring them back into balance? Well, yes. Um, as always, you are right on target. 
it depends. <laughs> um, that's the catch-all answer in, in the therapy and kind of body world. But, but one of the ways that I have started to incorporate all of this is, you know, people come to see me and they've got pain. They've got a dysfunction with their body that's keeping them from doing something that, that they want to do. And as I kind of put all the pieces together of the stuff that I've learned through applied functional science and looking at the interconnectedness of the body and how it, it all plays together, and then kind of my understanding of manual therapy and the different tissues that can be in dysfunction and how they contribute to each other and connect to each other. You know, somebody comes in with a dysfunction and one of the things we learn in applied functional science is trying to understand the person. What motivates them? You know, appreciating that they're a body, mind, and spirit all together and that everything is connected. So they come in with pain and dysfunction. Um, really what I'm just kind of looking at is seeing if I can connect the dots with, as I get to know them, what, wherever the pain is, um, what could be going on with their personality and the way that they present themselves to the world that might tie into some of these kind of human traits that I was talking about, whether it's like a security thing and kind of that root chakra or, you know, a, a relationship thing in the sacral chakra, um, their ability to, to do something and to create or to, to be disciplined in the solar plexus. The heart, you know, is, is a big one for being able to love and forgive. Uh, the throat chakra, if somebody, you know, has a hard time expressing themselves or telling their story, you know, the third eye is kind of the, the people that are stuck in their head. And very often they, if it's, if it's overactive or they're really kind of stuck there, there's a lot of anxiety. They, you know, are the kind of people that will describe, well, I can't sleep at night because I can't turn my brain off. It's just always running. I'm always worried about this and that kind of thing. So just really it's, it's for me kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, well, this person comes in with their shoulder bothering them. Well, okay, there's some tissue that we got to look at. There's the mechanics of understanding. Does the shoulder issue relate to tight hips? Is there a, a history of, you know, something wrong with an ankle that up through the kinetic chain has led to more difficulty with their scapula moving and that contributes to the shoulder pain, but then also getting to know them, looking at the bigger picture of, okay, well, what's, what's it like for them? What, who are they as a person? And is there something that's kind of jumping out to me that, that makes a connection and you kind of tying back to some of those quotes that I gave you earlier, you know, Einstein talks about nothing changes until something moves and that, everything in life is vibration. If we want to make some changes, you know, we can start moving things to get the energy flowing. And that's really kind of how I see things that I want to use movement as the medicine to try and stimulate more energy through perhaps some of these blocked chakra energy centers and try and help draw out more of the person. Um, depending on the person, and I don't do this with everybody, but sometimes I'll, you know, test my rapport with a person and see how open they are to conversations like this. 
And, and if they're open to it, then we'll kind of explore that and go down that path. Other times people just really aren't interested or that's not their thing and they're not really open to it. So that's fine too. I, I don't really kind of bring that into the forefront of our, of our treatment. Um, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, this person seems very unstable. They don't have a good foundation under them. They're, they're not very grounded. They're not very rooted. So maybe I can give them some exercises that will help stimulate energy through that root chakra and can help build the foundation for them to be more stable and have um, more ease with whatever it is that we're dealing with. Does that kind of go off on too much of a tangent or is that kind of answering your question? No, that was great. And that leads right into um, a little movement sequence that you created and that's your energy moving chakra matrix. So can you talk about or walk us through that matrix and how it might look, even though we can't see it, we could right. try and do it to your voice. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yes, I'd love to. And of course, obviously, the visual part is is really nice, but without that. So down at the root chakra, as I said, it kind of extends from the base of the spine going downwards, and it includes kind of our legs you can think of our legs as tree trunks connecting us to the earth and that the toes are the roots that are digging deep into the into the earth really giving us that solid foundation so to start to stimulate some energy through there um, what i like to do is have people get into kind of a wide stance and actually start some sumo stomps that's kind of what i call them but kind of a wide squat base with the feet pretty wide and knees bent and the butt back, but then starting into just stomping one foot at a time. And, you know, this in a perfect setting, it would, I would love to have people barefoot and with their feet connected to the real earth, whether it's grass or dirt or sand or whatever. But instead of in insulated shoes and on concrete, really be connected to the earth, but where you're stomping your feet back and forth and it's really kind of stimulating some energy up through your legs into the pelvis and that uh, base of the spine area. And then getting into kind of just dropping into a nice deep squat there to where you're kind of as comfortable as you can go into a squat, but then starting to just rotate your body. So you're staying in that squatted position and just kind of rotating back and forth where you're really getting to feel kind of your legs and all the muscles from your pelvis and hips extending down your legs. Um, there's lots of different variations of, of kind of how I do this, but this is kind of the main thing. But that would be the root chakra level. So then moving up to the sacral chakra, uh, think of just starting to get the pelvic, pelvis moving. So often I'll have people stand kind of one foot forward, one foot back, and then you start doing some anterior and posterior tilts with the pelvis. So this is kind of rocking the pelvis forward and back. Sometimes I like to call it, you know, the scared puppy where you're tucking your tail between your legs and that's the posterior tilt. And then the anterior tilt is where you're the spraying skunk. And if you have a big bushy skunk tail and you want to leave your mark on something, uh, you kind of tilt your pelvis forward and you lift that tail up. But going back and forth with the pelvis, 
and that would be kind of the, the sagittal plane. And then we start swishing our hips side to side. And so this would be, I tend to call it the sassy hips, but it's where you're kind of doing the bump dance. You're kind of pushing your hips out to the side one at a time, kind of going back and forth, doing a little sway with your hips back and forth. And then we start to kind of twist. You twist back and forth like we were doing in the um, in the squatted position, but now you're you're not really in a squat. Uh, I've got you standing with one foot forward, one foot back, and then you can kind of do circles with the hips, circles around clockwise, circles around counterclockwise, and doing a few of those. And then we would switch feet and repeat. And so you just kind of go forward and back, anterior and posterior tilt, little side to side with the sassy hips and then twisting back and forth, leading into some circles with the pelvis both ways. So that's the sacral chakra. Then we go to the solar plexus. And again, I kind of like this, the stride stance with one foot forward, one foot back, because that's very functional for how we operate in the real world. And it gives us a chance to kind of do it with each foot forward. But one, forward, one foot forward, one foot back, and then what you do is you kind of reach as far forward out in front of you, you know, towards the ground, as far as you can reach without moving your feet. And then from there, you swing your hands up and back overhead in a big arc so that you're doing this big forward and back motion with your hands and kind of letting the whole body move. And so we're really actually getting the whole core and that solar plexus, the trunk is moving forward and back. You can kind of think of this one as you're swinging your hands in an all hail type of motion. So usually I will teach this to my patients and I'll say, okay, this is the all hail Steve. And that gets a lot of laughs, but the other part is they remember it. So then we are going to stick with the solar plexus and go into the side to side of the frontal plane. And that's where you kind of stick your hands way up over your head and you just tip from side to side and making like a big rainbow arc with your hands, just back and forth, kind of back and forth is a big rainbow. And then finally you kind of have your hands out in front of you at about chest height and you twist and you try and see how far around the corner can you reach your hands both ways. Um, that one I often call kind of a, a mummy crossing the road because, well, you know, mummies walk with their hands out in front of them. And if you're going to cross the road, you got to look left and right. So then we switch our feet. We do the same thing with the hands forward and back, kind of the all hail motion, the side to side overhead in a big rainbow arc, and then the twisting around in front, like you're reaching um, around the corner each way. So that's the solar plexus. And then we move up to the heart chakra. So the heart chakra related to the lungs and our breath um, and just kind of that heart. One of the ways that I like to start this one is where you just kind of stand comfortably with wherever your feet are, are most comfortable for you. And then you just open your arms up and you kind of squeeze your shoulder blades together. And you can think that you're trying to bring your arms back behind you as far as you can. And they're just at chest height. But this one is kind of like you're giving the universe a big hug. And then what you're going to do is reach across your body, crossing your arms and give yourself a big hug so that you're crossing your arms 
and then you open up again and you hug the universe and then you hug yourself and you just kind of open back and forth, closing and opening the arms and give yourself a big hug, give the universe a big hug. And from there, we go into some diaphragm breathing. So again, with the heart chakra related to our breath and our lungs, feet just kind of comfortably where you are, a big diaphragm breath where you're making the belly rise and, it, and you stick your belly out on the inhale. As you inhale through the nose, you're going to lift your arms right up overhead, just kind of nice and softly on a big breath in. And then you exhale it out. And you kind of breathe in and out a couple of times with the arms going forward and back. And then same thing with the arms out to the side. So you're just kind of taking your arms up and out to the sides, like uh, almost like you're making a big snow angel type of motion. So as the arms come up, big inhale through the nose, and then the arms come down in a big exhale. Then we move on to the throat chakra. So this one, again, you're just kind of standing comfortably and we want to get the neck moving. And so very often I'll start with just kind of that no, 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 just kind of standing, turning your head from side to side. You're rotating left, rotating right, like you're shaking your head no. And you're just kind of going at you know, only as far as you're comfortable, keeping everything pain-free, just feeling really good. From there, you go into the side-to-side -side where you're tipping each, or each ear to your shoulder and just kind of tipping the head side-to-side, -side, back and forth. And then finally, that leads into the yes and no's where you're, or just the yeses, I guess, where you're looking up, looking down, kind of chin into your chest, looking down, and then looking up towards the sky, just kind of that forward and back. So again, a lot of motion into the neck. And that leads us up to the third eye chakra. So this one, you can do either your eyes open or your eyes closed. Um, but with the eyes open, well, the motion is the same, eyes open or eyes closed. It just kind of depends on what you're, where you are, what you're feeling like. But with your eyes, you're going to look up and down as far as you can go, kind of moving your eyeballs without moving your head very much. Um, with the eyes open, one of the things that you can do is see what you can focus on an object looking up as high as you can and then looking down as far as you can. And you just want to be able to let your eyes zero in to focus on some little object that you're picking out as you're going up and down. If your eyes are closed, obviously you're not focusing on anything, but you're just moving your eyeballs. And then we go left and right. So you're just looking as far to the side as you can, kind of going left and right with the eyes. And again, if your eyes are open, it's great to be able to practice focusing on an object as far as you can see in each direction. And then finally, we go in circles. So take the eyeballs around in big circles clockwise and just kind of go slow enough so that you don't get dizzy. And, um, and if you can kind of do it so that you can focus on your field of vision around the way, that's excellent clockwise and counterclockwise. 
and that's the third eye chakra. Now we move up to the crown chakra, and this is where you just kind of sink into a little meditation. You just kind of stand there quietly and let yourself be open to the universe. And if you can just kind of calm your mind down and really what you're looking for is letting it kind of hang in the space sort of between your thoughts, which the mind is kind of a constant chatter and conversation going on um, within itself. And if you can just let it settle down to where you're just pausing in that space where there's really no chatter. And that's where you're really kind of connecting with your, your spirit, your universe, your source, God, whatever it is that you want to call it. But I like to just kind of hang out there for, oh, a couple of minutes, as long as you feel comfortable. But that kind of takes us through um, what I tend to call my functional energy chakra matrix. It's stimulating some movement through each of the levels, kind of moving from the bottom up and kind of leading into sort of a meditation. And I've been doing it in my chair here while you're talking, and it actually feels amazing. So I'm going to have to do it standing up a little bit later. But how long should someone spend uh, doing this? Well, you know, it's it's up to the individual. Um, you know, I do this on a pretty regular basis myself as just kind of part of a morning routine. And, you know, sometimes you have five minutes, other times you have 15 or 20 minutes. Um, you can really go according to just your own time frame and what feels good. Um, you know, often if you really want to turn it into kind of a, a warm up the body and get everything moving, um, you can spend, you know, a couple of minutes doing the squats and the reaches and all the different directions because really you're getting your entire body moving. You're, you're stimulating energy through all of the parts, but you're, you're also physically getting your body moving in a bunch of different directions. And that in itself is part of the stimulating energy. Um, so you can really do it, you know, within just two or three minutes, or you can kind of stretch it out and go 15 to 20 minutes, just depending on what feels right for you for the moment. And you did a great job with the audio version of this, but if anyone wants to see more of a visual uh, of this, then if you go to Kinesi, that's K-I-N-E-C-I.com, that is Steve's website, and he has a video right on the front there that you can see. Steve, do you have anything else you would like to uh, add about energy? Well, um, yeah, you know, perhaps to, to kind of make it a little bit more concrete, for people to, to understand how the connections are, I can share, you know, a, a couple of quick short little stories of how I have used uh, energy in my practice. Um, on that video that you just mentioned on my website, there's a couple of stories, but I'll, I'll pick out a couple that I didn't share on that video. But uh, one of them was that, you know, I've seen a whole lot of frozen shoulders in my time as a physical therapist. And a frozen shoulder is kind of a, a bizarre presentation for somebody that's experienced it because it's not really well understood, but it's where the shoulder just starts to freeze up and it loses motion. And as the person tries to lift their arm, it hurts. So then they stop lifting their arm 
and then that continues to whittle down the motion so that the next time they try and lift their arm, they can't go as high and the pain starts earlier. So then they stop lifting it that high and it just progresses gradually or sometimes fast, but uh, into where the shoulder just won't move and it's very painful for people. And it can be quite a, a long, arduous process to unfreeze the shoulder and to get it functioning again. But I was working with a lady uh, about the time that I was starting to explore all of this, and she was a friend of mine. And so uh, we were talking as we were going through this, and I started to ask her about what was going on in her life just kind of before the shoulder started to freeze up. And she had talked about, you know, some, some major scares with her husband's health and just going through this period of really extreme stress and anxiety with, you know, her husband and his health being very tenuous and all these problems. And it was a really stressful thing. And that was, oh, maybe two or three months before her shoulder started to just freeze up. Well, you know, just kind of as a clinical experiment and observation on my end, um, everybody that I've worked with with a frozen shoulder, I've kind of gotten to know them and I've asked and kind of dug into their life a little bit and said, well, what was going on a couple of months ago? You know, before your shoulder started freezing up on you, tell me a little bit about what life was like. And, and from my experience, um, every single person that I've worked with with a frozen shoulder where I've been able to kind of get to know them, um, we were able to kind of pick out some really stressful life events that were going on just prior to the shoulder freezing up. And so, you know, there's something to that connection of the emotions, the spirit, um, the mind, and what's happening there that can add to what the body physically manifests in terms of pain and dysfunction. And so with a lot of those people, it, it was very stressful life events that had to do with something you know, a loved one, forgiveness, being scared that they were losing somebody, um, just different kind of extremely stressful events. Um, the other part that I find that kind of plays into it is it's kind of a connection between the heart chakra and the throat chakra. I mean, the shoulders kind of in between those. And very often I have found those people have stuff that they haven't been able to express. They haven't been able to tell their story or, you know, tell somebody they love them or tell somebody that they forgive them or forgive themselves or whatever it is. There's some kind of a connection there that I can't totally define, but, but I have seen this really consistently over the years working with people. And as I said, I've seen a lot of frozen shoulders. And for me, it's very striking that every single one there's been some kind of a real stressful life event just prior to the shoulder having its issues. Um, and so that's one of those things that, you know, working with a frozen shoulder, one of the things we need to do is get the shoulder blade moving. Well, if we're getting the shoulder blade moving, one of the things that involves is getting the thoracic spine moving. The heart chakra is the thoracic spine. It's right in there. So the more that we can stimulate energy through the heart chakra, creating motion in the thoracic spine and the shoulder blade, it really is part of the healing process to, to come out of this frozen shoulder. Um, so that's, that's one way that I've kind of, 
I look at things and I've used it and connected the dots for myself. You know, another example is there was a young woman that I worked with years ago who um, she had come out of being sick with mono. She was, uh, I think, a freshman or a sophomore in college, and she, you know, got really sick with mono. She kind of got through that, but she was just wiped out, and she had this extreme fatigue through her body where she really couldn't do anything. I mean, getting up out of a chair was just a struggle, and the idea of going back to college was just not something she could handle because of the stamina um, that she had lost and didn't have the endurance to, to deal with that. Well, one of the things that struck me about her was that she was very much an anxiety-driven person. She was always in her head and she was always very uptight and anxious about everything. The other thing that just for me was really interesting was that Purple was her favorite color, and she always wore purple. Purple jackets, purple shirts, purple pants. I mean, whatever she came to the clinic with always had something purple on. And so that relates to kind of that third eye being up in the mind and that anxiety kind of thing where she was really stuck there. But the other part about it that that she, she wasn't grounded. She didn't have that foundation. And I think for her, it had to do with she was in school, she was kind of making her way through college, and then she got sick and was pulled out of that. And she couldn't make it back into school yet. And she felt very unsettled. She didn't want to live at home, but she had to be there because she couldn't be on her own at school. And so she was very ungrounded. And so what I ended up doing with her was um, some very gentle kind of massage work, but, but I got her out in the woods and, um, really said, okay, I want you to walk slowly and carefully through the woods. Don't hurt yourself stepping on an acorn or anything, but, um, uh, but really connect your feet to the ground. And I want you to do lots and lots of squats. And so we got her doing that and, and I was doing some other hands-on work with her. Um, but she had seen, I think, four or five other therapists before she came to me. Um, and I was able to start to make some progress with her. And I really believe it's because I took a different approach. And instead of just looking at her as a person with dysfunction that she didn't have any endurance, I was kind of looking at her through the lens of, oh, she's really stuck in her head. And she really feels like she doesn't She's unrooted. She doesn't have a place to really call home. I mean, she lived at home, but she didn't want to be there. She was, you know, a college student, but she couldn't be at college. And she was very un unsettled. And so we were able to actually make quite a bit of progress with the approach that I took. Uh, and she was very grateful. And for me, it was very rewarding. But it, I could see it as more of an energy thing for her than it was necessarily a, a singular physical thing. Um, so those are a couple of ways that I've been able to sort of incorporate energy using movement into my practice. Um, and for my own style, I find it, you know, really rewarding and very, very helpful. 
Well, that is one hell of a closeout statement there. I love that you brought everything together and you're showing that energy is, you can apply it to rehab. You can apply it to physical therapy. You can put all those different components into being able to work with someone and figure out what is leading to dysfunction. So I love that you connected all that together. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, that's that's the fun part is trying to, to put the pieces together and connect the dots. So people can find you at kinesi.com. That's once again, K-I-N-E-C-I.com. Where else can people find you online? Uh, well, I'm on Facebook, and I um, have been having a lot of fun putting out some videos on a pretty regular basis called Wiggle of the Week, where we've been going through different body parts each month, and I'll do about three or four different videos, short little quick hitter ones, uh, kind of getting that body part wiggling in lots of different ways. So that's Kinesi Health in Motion uh, is the Facebook page uh, and also on Instagram, the same Kinesi Health in Motion. Awesome. And I'll have all the show notes at summitforwellness.com slash 39. So if you want to learn more about his Wiggle of the Week or see his uh, Chakra Matrix, then go to there and you can find the links to his website. Thank you so much, Steve, for coming on. I loved talking about the chakra systems, and I love that you were able to put it together. That makes me super excited. I love it. Well, well thanks, Brian. I, I feel pretty honored to, to be on your show. I've listened to quite a number of your podcasts, and I just think you're doing fantastic work, and it's uh, a real privilege for me to, to get to share a little bit from my end. So thank you for having me. And there you have it. Even if you think the chakra systems are kind of more woo-woo than what you want to believe in. I think Steve did a fantastic job of tying it all back together with how he was able to use these energetic systems with some of his patients in his practice. So there is definitely ways that you can use this energetic stuff, even if you do think it's woo-woo. Now, Steve is an absolute wealth of knowledge, so if you haven't looked into him, please do and go take a look at his website. He just provides so much to the physical therapy world, and he's constantly studying new things. Okay, if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you took the time to give us a rating and review on iTunes. If you go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes and leave us a rating and review, that really helps our show to get out in front of more people. So the more that you can help us out, the more that we can provide shows like this to you. Also, if you haven't joined us in our free Facebook group, then go to summitforwellness.com slash tribe and you can join in with a conversation there. Keep climbing to the peak of your health, and next week we will be talking with Kelly McCann all about mold toxicity, so we will see you there.